are going to be do, looking at 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. That's it, 1 and 2. But we're going to be doing a lot of, uh, of introductory thoughts here. So, But we're going to read verses 1 and 2. You follow along as I read from the New King James Version of God's Word, and then we'll get into the teaching together. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. And Father, as we are here standing with your word in our hands, we pray, Father, that you will bless us through your word. We pray, God, that you would have your way in our hearts as we begin a new journey through a, a new New Testament book, Lord, written by the hand of Peter. God, we pray that you'd have your way in us, that you'd use it to cause us to grow in you, to understand you more fully, to be deepened in our relationship with you. And Lord, even as this, these first couple of verses speak, that, that there would be a sanctification of your spirit in our lives for the purpose of obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of your son, Jesus. So God, we just... Pray that you have your way with us now. Speak to our hearts through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. In recent weeks, as I've been just kind of in prayer and, and just uh, considering where the Lord might have us go after, after the book of Acts, of course, last week we closed out. Uh, the book of Acts, and, and uh, I shared with you that we were going to be going into First Peter. I, I've been praying and so forth, and, you know, in, in the book of Acts, it ends with uh, the Apostle Paul in prison in Rome, and, and, and we know that while there, uh, he hadn't done it yet at the end of the book of Acts, but while there in Rome, in a couple, over a couple of years, uh, period of time, he, he wrote uh, four different letters. Uh, he wrote um, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and the letter to Philemon, uh, four letters that we call the prison epistles. Um, I thought it would be kind of cool to go into those particular letters since we're just le leaving off with Paul there in prison and just kind of go from there. Um, historically and all, uh, that would be kind of a cool thing to do. And then I thought, well, you know what? The last half of Acts, we've been talking a lot about Paul. And, you know, Lord, did you have us switch that up a little bit? And, 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 and I believe this is from, from the Lord. You know, I, my thoughts went to Peter, who was, was you know, basically the, the main apostle that, that is written of and, and, and all during the first part of the book of Acts. He wrote a couple of letters as well. Uh, uh, well, he wrote a couple. Paul wrote, you know, many more than that. But uh, the point being that my thought was directed there, and I thought, you know what, yeah, let's do that. We'll, we'll, we'll go through First and Second Peter, uh, and w we will be able to go back to the book of Acts. And one thing I, I love about, you know, the, the, the Word of God, the New Testament in particular, as we 
see the uh, accounts, the, the, the narratives of the Gospels and then the book of Acts. Then you go through the letters and you see how they all connect with each other and so forth. And that, that's what we'll be doing as we go through First Peter. We'll be doing a lot of that this morning in particular. But I just thought that it would be good to go through the book of First Peter as we begin. Now, as I read already, the, the, the letter begins with the word Peter and then a, a description of who he is, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so this letter obviously is written by Peter. That's the way, you know, in, in the first century, uh, in the Roman world, uh, even as so much of the Roman world, and th there it was influenced by the Greeks, and, and the Greek was the language that was spoken and written, you know, throughout the Roman Empire. And th this is written in, uh, originally in the Greek language, of course. But, but, but that was the way that they would begin a letter rather than waiting till the end and say sincerely, you know, Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ. It, it just begins that way. And, and I like that because that, that would save us from going to the end of the letter before, and then we know who it's from. You know, I mean, th that's kind of a cool way to do that. But he's got his name there. And there are other reasons that we can see that it was from Peter as well. Uh, scholars who study the letters you know, many times we'll just kind of, they want, want to verify and confirm that there is not only external evidence for the letter being authentic and truly being written by the person who, whose name is there, but internal evidence as well. And, 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 and we see some of those things here. Uh, for example, there, there's a word that, that Peter uses twice in the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 30, in chapter 10, verse 39, it's a word that he uses that is translated as tree in reference to the cross of Jesus Christ. Peter did that twice. He also uses that same word here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5 to refer to the, to the cross of Jesus Christ. We don't see that anywhere else. So that's one evidence, some internal evidence for, for the authentication of this being a letter written by the apostle Peter. Uh, there are also uh, allusions to the life of Jesus, uh, which, of course, Peter witnessed. In 1 Peter 2.23, we see this, these words, speaking of Jesus, of course, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Peter witnessed that. 1 Peter 5.1, he writes this, the elders who are among you, I exhort, who I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, as we also are partakers of the glory that will be revealed. One of the things as we go through the New Testament letters, we, we find is that we can't get away from the reality of spiritual warfare. The, the, the letters in the New Testament deal heavily with that and deal heavily with things like false doctrine. They deal heavily with the, the reality of suffering and persecution in this world. And that is a primary theme of this letter. Uh, the persecution that the church was going through as well as suffering. Persecution is one form of suffering. 
But there are other forms of suffering as well. As we just simply live in this world, we go through difficult times as we've experienced this past year. And as I mentioned, we will experience going on because that's just the nature of this world. But there are times, though, that we individually or as the church will suffer specifically because we speak about Jesus because we love him. And we order our lives after him in following after Jesus. And there are times that we may suffer just simply because of that. That's persecution. And there's a lot of dealing with that in this particular letter. For, for example, 1 Peter 2, verse 20 and 21. Uh, the context here is Peter is writing uh, um, some instruction to servants. He says, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Notice this. If you, are, if you suffer because you do good, that's not commendable. It is commendable if you take it patiently. So it's all about how we deal with how, how we respond to the suffering. Not that we have suffered, but how we respond to the suffering, right? That's when it's commendable before God. And then verse 29, verse, verse 21, for to this you were called. That's something we don't like hearing. But you see the Holy Spirit telling us through the Apostle Peter that we are called to suffering. To this we are called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. This, by the way, is one of two places in the New Testament that specifically says that Jesus served as an example for us. Now, we know that we can look at his life and follow his example in many, many ways, but Specifically twice, it is written in the New Testament that Jesus served as an example here with suffering. And we also see that in John chapter 13, uh, the beginning chapters of uh, the Upper Room Discourse, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, washed the apostles' feet, Jesus said, I did this as an example. So, in the area of suffering, and in the area of lowly service to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Those are examples of Jesus. Another place in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 1 Peter 4, 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind as Jesus, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. When we submit ourselves to suffering rather than running from it. Do you like to suffer? But what if it's God's will? Right? If it is God's will to do so, we, we, you know, if we're going to be following God's will, we'll just simply submit 
to the suffering. And quite frankly, the suffering that comes to us most often is something that we can't get away from anyway. It's going to happen simply by the nature of the world that we live in. And again, we can, we can just kind of use what's taken place this past year, you know, and for me personally, of course, you guys too, you know, we're, we're still mourning the, uh, the, the loss of my precious bride, your pastor's wife, you know, who uh, ministered so effectively to us. You know, we, we, we miss her. We're still mourning that. But the, the mourning aspect of that, you know, we lose people that we love. I mean, that's, we, we have done, we, we've had a, a, a number of memorial services during the course of the year after that because, well, that's something that happens in our world. It's a very natural thing, isn't it? Now, God did not create the world that way, but once sin entered in, that's what takes place. There now is sin and, and, and death and, and disease and sickness and evil and wickedness in our world. And we all are affected by those things, and it brings suffering to our hearts. That's, that's, that's the way that it is in this broken world. But Jesus promised something different for us in our future. That's a hope that we have. So we, so we sorrow with hope, not without it. And one other passage I want to read here, 1 Peter 4, verse 12 to 14. Peter writes, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, Blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. So, so we do see that in so many places in First in Peter, as Peter's writing, that the suffering that is talked about is somehow connected to the glory of God and him being glorified through the manner in which we respond to the suffering that we're going through. Does that make sense? So again, it's not just the fact of suffering that blesses us or, or, or that, 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 that God brings blessings to us for. It's, it's the way that we handle it, the way that we deal with it. And glory is another theme of this letter. I'm not going to go through all the passages in which it's mentioned, but we do see that 12 different times the word glory is used in this letter. Four times the word glorify, and as I just mentioned, often connected somehow to our suffering. But also we see the example of Jesus and suffering laid out before us to follow him, to follow in his steps. It's you and I glorifying God through the way that we respond to our suffering. This letter was probably written in A.D. 64, which is just, just at the time that Caesar Nero began his very violent persecution of the church. Uh, Peter understood 
He knew that that was going to be taking place, and he wanted to write a letter that brought comfort and hope to uh, the recipients, to the Christians there uh, in that area, the pilgrims, as we read in first verse, the first verse, the first verse in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. But uh, probably A.D. 64, it was written. It was written from Babylon. That's what we see in chapter 5, uh, verses 12 and 13. Uh, by Sylvanus, Silas, we know him as in, in, the, uh, New Test- or in, in the book of Acts, I should say. So Peter spoke the letter. It was written in hand by Sylvanus, by Silas. He calls him our faithful brother as I consider him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of of God in which you stand. She who's in Babylon, elect together with you, greet you, and so does Mark, my son. Now, there is no record anywhere, either in Scripture or outside of Scripture, that Peter ever went to Babylon. It is believed by many that Babylon is just simply a code name because of persecution for the city of Rome. We, we do know that, that, that Peter spent several years towards the end of his life in Rome. So it's probably what he was doing, probably a code name. And by, uh, by 68 AD, we do see that Peter was executed by crucifixion by Caesar Nero. Peter insisted that he should be executed upside down simply because he was not worthy, he felt himself not worthy to be executed in the same manner as Jesus, his Lord. And so he, as they were going to crucify him, he said, no, upside down, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord. That's a little bit of background for what Peter would, what would take place with Peter. You know, when we think of Peter, um, he is one of the characters in the scriptures that we relate to so well, don't we? I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard somebody, oh, I, I just relate so well to Peter, you know. I mean, he's, he, ha- he had this, this uh, uh, foot and mouth disease, right? I mean, he opened his mouth and stick his foot in it. And, you know, that's such an easy and common thing for us to do, um, it's really his humanness. He was so human. And we see that in the scriptures. You go, we go back to Matthew chapter 16. Um, we see him in verses 16 and 17. Um, after Jesus had said they were there in Caesarea Philippi, uh, and uh, Jesus said to his apostles, um, whom do men say that I am? And so they responded, oh, some, some of the prophets, you know, some Isaiah, some, you know, uh, and then so forth. And, and then he said, who do you say that I am? And, you know, I mean, that's a lesson for us. God always wants us to make it personal. Who do you say that I am? And each one of us must come to a conclusion, must come to a conclusion in regard to who we believe Jesus to be, right? We've got to make that personal. Well, Simon Peter answered in verse 16 of Matthew 16. 
he answered and said, you are the Christ, the Messiah. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. You are hearing directly from my father. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. And then a couple paragraphs later, we see this. Jesus is beginning to talk to his apostles about what's going to happen to him. He, he's going to be taken by the Jewish leaders, turned over to the Romans. They're going to they're crucify him. And on the third day, he's going to rise again. Well, in verse 22, the second part of it, 22b through verse 23, we see these words. Peter said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. One minute he's receiving commendation from the lips of Jesus. The next moment he's saying, get behind me, Satan. I mean, th this is a part of his experience. This is a part of who Peter was. And that's what we relate to, just this idea that, you know, I mean, we can hear from God one moment, and then the next moment we're speaking for Satan. Because his heart was on the things of man, not on the things of God. And the things of God, clearly, the things of God are not always something that we want to see take place. Not always something that seems to be pleasing to us or for someone else around us. And so we, we see this with Peter. But we need to consider the other things that Peter experienced. And one of the questions related to this is, is, is this. We're going to be talking about some things that he experiences and that he experienced and where he went. I mean, from, from the Gospels, as we see this kind of a thing, get behind me, Satan. Into the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church, upon Peter, and a radical change begins to take place. Peter's used to, to, to bring the very first, the first couple of recorded sermons in the context of, of the church, the church being birthed in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And from there being used in, in many ways, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but finally we get to, to these letters that he wrote and we can kind of sit back after and, and, and we're reading the letters, studying the letters, and so forth. And it's like we kind of think, is this the same guy that we saw in Matthew chapter 16? Well, the answer to that is no, <laughs> because God changed him. God matured him. God used him. And we see in these letters, uh, such great encouragement and understanding of the things of the Lord, such great maturity. Of course, some years had taken, had gone by, of course, uh, probably something like 25 to 30 years. But a point that I want to make is this. We relate so well to Peter in his humanness. 
do we still relate to him looking at the way that God used him, the way that God changed him, the way that he submitted to the work of God's spirit in his life to the point that, that, he, that he was used through the book of Acts the way that he, that he was, that he was used in writing these letters that are such an encouragement to us all. Do we still relate to him? Do we relate to him in that way? I pray so. Let's not leave, leave ourselves with relating to Peter as a man who struggles with his human condition of being a sinner. But let's relate to the way that God changed him, pouring out the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit whom he has poured out on us. Let's be willing to make that change. So, some background for, for, for Peter. We, we see Peter introduced to us in John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42. Just follow along as I read this. And by the way, as, even as we have the passages up on the screen, I would encourage you, turn in your Bible because you might want to mark some, you might want to highlight some of these things. I, 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 I want you to use your Bible as, as much as you can through, through these uh, times together as we preach. Okay, verse 35 in John 1. Again the next day, John, speaking of John the Baptist, stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now this is the day after he had originally introduced him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The two disciples, verse 37, heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. I, I love this. Now, I have to avoid the temptation of kind of speaking, making comment about the, because, I mean, all, all these verses, all these passages are so great. I mean, we could teach on each one of them for an hour. We don't have time for that. So pray for me because I want to do that. Anyway, so they, they heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them follow, following said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. That was about the 10th hour. One of the, that would be, that would be about two in the afternoon. Um, excuse me, no, four in the afternoon. Uh, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Look at that. We found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. That says something to us and what our response ought to be when we find the Messiah. Generally, the way it works is somebody brought us to Jesus. We found him. Now we go get somebody else to bring, him, bring them to Jesus as well, right? And it starts with family. Starts with family, his own brother. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated as stone. Later, we see Peter 
watching Jesus fill a net full of fish when he knew that there were no fish there. In Luke chapter 5, verse 4 to 11, when he, when he had stopped speaking, Jesus, of course, had borrowed uh, 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 Simon Peter's boat uh, and put it out a little, a little way from, from the shore so he could speak to the multitudes. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. In other words, you're a great preacher. You're a rabbi uh, that is beyond others that I've ever heard speak. I'm a fisherman. We've been here all night. There aren't any fish. Okay, uh, okay, I'll humor you. I'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and do what you say. But notice something. He said, let down your nets, plural, for a catch. Nevertheless, at your word, Peter said, I'll let down the net, single, singular. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. If they'd listened, they wouldn't have any break, broken nets, right? That's part of what we do when we, when we obey halfway. Right? Um, see, that's what I'm doing. I'm teaching through this passage, too. We, we, have, uh, we have to move along. Uh, <laughs> so they signaled to their partners to, in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon saw this, Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had br brought their boat to, to land, they forsook all and followed Jesus. This was the moment when Peter, not only recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, recognizing him as someone worthy to follow. And as Jesus called him to follow, he actually did that. From now on, I'll make you fishers of men. Then we see a little bit later in Matthew chapter 14, verses 27 to 33, these words. Even as Jesus had sent, sent the apostles to go across the Sea of Galilee, it was stormy. Then they saw Jesus walking on the water. They were afraid because that they thought it might be a ghost. But immediately, verse 27 in Matthew 14, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. I want to stop there a moment. Peter actually got out of that boat believing that if Jesus said come, that he'd be able to walk on the water. And you know what happened? He was walking on the water. Let's just continue. I, that's amazing to me that he did that. 
But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Peter experienced that. How many of you here can say, yeah, I walk on water too? Of course, none of us. I'm not talking about water skiing. You know, I mean, um, I've seen some guys attempt to water ski without skis just with their feet, right? And it's like, that often doesn't end well. But the point being, he actually got out of the boat. He had the faith. Uh, Peter's faith amazes me. He got out of the boat and actually began to walk toward Jesus. But as he got his eyes off of Jesus, his attention was on the wind and the waves and so forth. He goes, whoa, you know, and, and, and he began to sink. And th that's a lesson for us, of course. But I'm amazed that Jesus, too, responded to Peter. He says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He didn't at first. But his attention was drawn away from Jesus because of the storm around him. And you know what? Life can make us sink as well if we just give our attention to the things that are going on around us rather than keeping our eyes on Jesus. He will cause us to walk above the waves. Above the storm. Peter actually experienced this. Consistent with Jesus speaking in Matthew 17, 20, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, this is the context here, is they couldn't cast a demon out of a particular young boy, uh, young man. They asked, why couldn't we cast him out? Well, because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, tiny, tiny, tiny little seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Even walking on water. Here Jesus is teachings, and he witnesses miracles, the casting out of demons, calming of storms, healing, enabled him to walk on the water, the raising of the dead. He saw these things. And these are all things that led him to that confession of faith that we referred to earlier. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. A little bit later, Jesus predicted Peter's denial. Luke 22, verse 31 to 34. And the Lord said to Simon, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. We've gone through a year of sifting. I know I have. But look at this. Jesus says, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Guys, we go through these times of sifting. We go through these times of sifting. But the Lord said, I've prayed for you. 
Then, then verse 33, we see Peter responding, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter meant that. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. But notice what, what Jesus said to Peter. Satan has asked for you to stiff you with wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Peter's denial was not uh, a failure of faith. It wasn't the end of his faith. It was kind of like a blip on the screen, if you will. It was a momentary failure, yes. But his faith did not end. And then he said, when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Look what happened with Peter in the book of Acts. How many of his brethren were strengthened through his ministry? And look at what is still going on this very day, even as we enter into the study of this letter, 1 Peter. He is strengthening us today. We are being strengthened by the Lord through the power of God's Spirit, through the written word that came through the Apostle Peter. He still is being used this day to strengthen his brethren. That's an amazing thing. Still going on today. And of course, we do see that, that Peter did, indie, uh, did, did indeed uh, um, uh, deny Jesus Christ and the bitterness of it all. In Luke 22, we see in, in verse, uh, I'm going to read verse 61 and 62. Uh, after he had denied Jesus for the third time, the rooster crowed. Verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. It's such a, such a heartfelt moment we see there. He denies Jesus for the third time. The rooster crows. He looks at Jesus. Jesus looks at him. Their eyes meet. And Peter couldn't handle it. He had denied his Lord. He ran out of the room weeping bitterly. The bitterness of denial. Later in, 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 in John chapter 21, we see the restoration of John. And, and then, of course, the way that he was used through the book of Acts that we've, that we've talked about uh, already. In Romans, quoting from the Apostle Paul, Two passages from the Apostle Paul. As we look at Peter's life and the way that God had prepared him for the writing of these letters. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purposes. He causes all things to work together for good. If you love him and, are the, and you are called according to his purposes, everything in your life works together for your good. Now, that's an amazing thing. You know, again, this past year, I know according to the scriptures that what I have experienced as a man losing my wife the way that I did, and there's others here who have lost a husband or a wife, 
You know exactly what I'm talking about. Going through that is working together, God working it together with other things for my good. And it's like, huh? For my good? It doesn't feel like it's for my good. But it is. If you are called according to his purpose, his purpose being to conform you and me to the image of Jesus Christ. He's going to make us more like Jesus through all this. And even as Peter deals so much with the idea of suffering and our response to the suffering, us being used by God to bring glory to him in the way that we handle the suffering. Right? Becoming like Jesus. Jesus is our example of suffering. You know, I, I, I have uh, mentioned this before to you guys. Uh, I, I, I read from A.W. Tozer quite a bit. Uh, I, I think he's an incredible, incredible well, a modern-day prophet of God. He, 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 he went to be with the Lord 60 years ago. Uh, in, in 1963. But um, his, his books are amazing. One of them is entitled This World, Playground or Battleground. And guys, as believers, you know, before we come to Christ, we see this world as a playground. After we come to Christ, we are to be moving toward, and the sooner the better, if we can see that we are in a battleground, spiritual warfare, all that, we'll be so much better off. Because if we try to look at the world as a playground, as a Christian, I'm still here just to have fun, just to have my needs met, to, to seek pleasures and so forth, then as a Christian, we will be absolutely miserable. Not by use, not being used by God, and not being able, by being used by God, to experience the joy of the abundant life that Jesus gives to us. Because really, what I'm saying is, Jesus, I don't think you really will give me abundant life. This is how I'm going to have abundant life. I want to have fun. You know what I mean? I think that is so, so very true. And so we see here in verses 1 and 2. That was our introduction. And I see that the clock says 1022. We have to stop. We're going to go ahead and pick up in verse 1 next week. But I, 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 I do pray that going through this kind of an introduction has kind of whetted your appetite to go through this book. The idea of all that Peter has for us, all that he went through, all of his experiences, culminating to this point where th at the end of his life, he is bringing encouragement to the church, even in the midst of the suffering that they are enduring. And, and guys, you know, I just want to say this to you. You know, uh, I realize that I'm in at, at a place in my life. I'm certainly a lot closer to the end of my life than the beginning. I'm 71 years old. 
you know, my, my, my dad went to be home with the Lord when he was 94. My, my mom was 89, and she's still, she's still around. I think that I've got some time. I've got some long, longevity genes as well as Levi genes. <laughs> you know, and, and so I, I think I'm going to be around a while. I don't think I'm in the last four or five years of my life. I, don't, I mean, of course, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I mean, I, I might wind up with the Lord today, get in an accident. I don't, I don't know. But my point being this, Peter, in his life, going through all the experiences with the Lord that he did, brought him to a place that he can bring encouragement and, and hope. He can bring some instruction to the people that he's been ministering to. You know, and I've been walking with the Lord for 50 years. And, you know, I, I believe that the Lord can use me in the same way. I'm not saying that I, I'm an apostle. But in a way, because what the word apostle means, one sent out, we all are apostles in that sense. But the point being that, you know, God does his work in our lives and, you know, there, there's a reason in the scriptures that, that it speaks about the value of, of elders. You know, a, as we encounter those who've gone through life, as, as, as Christians in particular, and, you know, they're, they're, they're still following the Lord closely and still doing well and able to say things like, as I mentioned before, it is well with my soul. I, 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 I welcome that. I don't like the things that have happened that are making me and changing me to, to be someone that God can use in a way he, that he wants to, but at the same time, I, I welcome it, Lord. Lord. Lord, do what you will and use me. But you know, we were singing earlier, death is defeated, the king is alive. And my thought immediately went here. Yeah, death is defeated. My bride is alive. Right? And I know that I'm not going to die. My body's going to stop, wor stop working, and we have a tendency in this world to call that death. Paul always called it departure. Peter was similar. We'll, we'll, we'll come across that. You know, and so um, I value being able to share some things from a perspective from a, from a guy who's been walking with the Lord for 50 years, gone through experiences, I've gone through pain, I've, I've gone through hurt, I've experienced loss. God has deepened me in those ways, and I think God can use me because of that. And so I just share with you, please listen to what God has to say to you through me especially listen to what God has to say through Scripture. And as, I, and, and as I teach the Word through this, the, the, this veil, if you will, of the experiences that I've had, I do believe that, that you'll be blessed by it. Amen? Amen. Father, help us. Even as next week we begin, well, we begin in earnest looking at this first chapter. I pray, God, that you will just have your way in our hearts. And, Lord, we do thank you for the, for the, for the ways, Lord, that you have
called us to be used by you. Lord, uh, all things working together, Lord, uh, even being your workmanship, as Paul writes to the Ephesians. You are doing a work in us to make us the people that you want us to be, so that you can use us the way that you want to use us, Lord. And it's a different path for all of us, Lord. We accept your loving, skilled hand in working in our hearts the way that you see is best. Lord, use Peter. Use his writings to bless our hearts. And might your Holy Spirit bring truth to our hearts that we will be encouraged, filled with hope, deepened in our love for you, deepened in our reception of your grace for our lives, that you will be honored, that you will be glorified. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.